Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 147, and we are back once again. It's always exciting, and this week uh, we have a uh, special guest joining us for the fourth time. He is uh, running for Congress in the 22nd uh, District, New York. Anthony Brindisi, his fourth appearance as we get ready, our one last conversation, uh, two weeks for the midterm elections. Get out there and vote, folks. Doesn't matter who, just vote. Very important. Uh, also this week, we're going to talk about what happens if we win the Mega Millions, whether or not I'll quit the podcast if that happens, whether or not I'll stop doing history lessons. I'll definitely stop doing history lessons if I win the lottery. We'll just talk about winning the lottery. Also this week, we're going to break down some of the websites that help define the internet. Uh, we're going to talk about McDonald's. Uh, and just before we get into this week's episode, I want to spend a special uh, shout out to longtime listener, longtime friend of the show, Pete Forgets. We love you. We're thinking about you. Even Charlie the Cat, who's running into the studio to meow. We're all thinking about you, buddy. Uh, thoughts and prayers. Great dude. We love you. Reach out if you need anything. All right, folks. Episode 174 with Anthony Brindisi. His return to the show. We are happy, as always, to have you here. The cat's walking in front of the microphone. Folks, welcome back uh, again. It's the Uticast episode 174. Uh, so close to 200. So we're getting I'm creeping we're getting, up on 200. I certainly, know. I know. And uh, this week, of course, joining us for the fourth time, two weeks away from the big elections, 2018 midterm elections. Um, Anthony Brindisi, Assemblyman Brindisi, back the, probably the last time. Obviously, he's not going to come in the next two weeks again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so thanks to everybody who sent great uh, questions to me. I noticed that on your interview sheet that uh, you had a bunch of questions sent in from mm -hmm. people, and I love when that happens. I yeah. love when people have questions for guests. Yep. Uh, thanks to everybody who reached out. Uh, again, you know, I've I've talked to Anthony so many times at this point that I'm always happy to uh, outsource some questions yeah. and things people want to know because... Uh, just makes your job easier. That's less notes to take. <laughs> makes the job easier. Uh, so I'll say a couple things about this interview just to give you guys a little context. Uh, I actually had to go on location to Anthony's uh, campaign offices for this. Right. That's how you can tell we're getting close to the big time. Yeah. He doesn't have as much free time anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'll notice the microphone, the interview sounds different because I'm using the little portable mic, which I don't normally use for recording. So, oh, yeah. It's nice, isn't it? It's a fun little toy. Uh, so if you folks uh, notice a difference in the audio, let me know. But I think you will not, actually. It's pretty good, most things considered. Pretty solid. Same company. It's crazy how far the technology's come with like these little the Bluetooth microphones yeah. and like, little ones that just plug into the top of your phone and go on like full professional yeah, you level. Just take your podcast around the road. That's honestly, I've thought in the past if it wasn't such a problem to um, take files off the phone, uh, it's harder than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I could probably run the whole show from my phone. It would, it would be a pain. But you, I can, feel like we've had to do, do that in a pinch, didn't we? When we did the episode when we were visiting friends in Brooklyn, or no, we brought the we brought whole, the whole rig down, whole and it's a pain. No, and and but that's even true. Yeah, so yeah. I, I debated bringing the whole rig with me and said it's not worth it. Like it's right. just there's no point. Uh, so if you notice a significant difference in the audio, let me know. But I don't think you will. And I think going forward, you know, this is not the first time I've used this microphone. So going forward, maybe I'll start doing more interviews. Uh, 
off-site, in the field. In the field. In the field. And I will say, uh, just for the sake of letting you guys a little peek behind the curtain, you know, I feel like my preparation for these shows has been a little slack over the last few weeks because I'm dead in the center of grad school and a lot of busy time at work. Um, I'm trying real hard. Uh, it's like one of those things like when you're a musician and you're playing a song on stage and you make a mistake and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did yeah. that. Was, was like, even what? Knows. I didn't even notice. <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody would know about your preparation if you didn't No, me. I feel though that like, uh, for the if you notice that I'm like kind of flustery or going wild more than usual. You're always kind of flustery. Yeah. Say, yeah, I, don't, I, don't <laughs> notice, I don't think I can tell the difference. <laughs> a month from now, you will notice a difference in my uh, demeanor and attitude. Okay, count it off. 30 count days. it off. 30 What's days. Episode from, 178. 178, yeah. 78, 79. A brand new thing. I'll put that in my calendar. Uh, speaking of brand new things, uh, you have a brand new age. It's your birthday over the week. Yes. <laughs> over the week. Yes, it was on Friday. It was my birthday. How are you feeling about your the passage of time one more year? Uh, it, it feels wrong to say indifferent mm -hmm. because that's certainly not it. But um, it sort of comes and goes without you noticing. You mm -hmm. know what yeah. I mean? Wasn't that different, you know what I mean? It was just uh, this year seems to be pretty similar to the last so far. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, how lucky how lucky can we be to make it around the sun one more time? You know, so that's yeah. excellent. This is actually a tough time of year for birthdays for me because I have three birthdays that fall within like a seven day period. It's uh, Kevin mm. and my dad and my sister Kelly, who was uh, on the show last year for Christmas. Oh, yeah. If everyone remembers that, my <laughs> so you're all sort of in the same I do remember that. like week birthday period. And I'm so broke right now that no one got presents. What you all individually got were me explaining that I have no money, but I love you guys anyway. Hat in hand. Hat in hand. <laughs> I love you guys. You're very important to me. I have nothing to give you. But you're not getting anything for your birthday. But you're not getting anything. <laughs> to which I said, I'm leaving the show. You're leaving, yeah, he's leaving the show. You're like, nothing, I, I leave the show. Um, I can't work under these conditions. I've got an agent now. It's true. It's true. Uh, and then also, Kevin, we have, uh, we have upstairs roommates again. Uh, this is around. this is developing news. I mean, they've only been moving in for you know the past hour, and the carpets are out, so they can probably hear us. So uh, this is probably weird for them. It's probably weird for them. <laughs> like, they're like, what are they talking about? What's going on? They're talking about it. I'll say one thing. I'm glad that they're young. Can I put it that way? I'm glad 100%. that they're young folks. Not that I have not ageism thing. I think it just makes our lives easier dealing with folks around our age range. For same sure. kind of problems, same kind of lifestyle. Good for stuff. Sure. Happy that it's young folks. Take that, old people. <laughs> I, <laughs> Heather, you are wearing your workout gear into the studio today. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm gl no, I'm what glad. I am. One of my favorite parts every week is the incredulous look on Heather's face when you just like, what card is he going to pull from my life to bring out? No, I'm glad. Today? I like it because it motivates me because I've been feeling very out of shape and I've been wanting to go work out. Now that I'm seeing you working out before your podcasting, you're putting in the effort. I know. And I'm kind of jealous. Winter's coming, so. Yeah, winter is coming. Winter's coming. <laughs> I'm what'd not getting you, any younger. What was your workout today? What'd you do? Just Run, cardio? I, I did yoga and running. Mm, I need a new yoga routine, I think. I have a great one I'll give you. You gotta get out there and start doing the yoga in the world. I do it in my room. I don't like I know you do it in your room. No, you gotta, you gotta get out like there. I don't like doing yoga classes and stuff. I like just doing it at home. Well, you know why I don't like doing it in classes? I don't want someone to tell me how badly I'm doing No, I know. I, I, I don't I don't want to know how wrong I'm doing I feel like it would help to have somebody who could. I mean, then you would be more effective in doing it. Wow, Heather, ring around for the podcast. Sorry, uh, that was my son's medicine. <laughs> Reminder. Uh, I visited Dr. Nick from the, the podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, 
Oh yeah, you're yeah, going so to him still. I'm still going to him, right. uh, but I, I'm going to ask him and uh, and Dr. Moody for some yoga tips unsolicited next time I go in for an appointment. That's my plan. There you go. They do yoga stuff. There you go. Uh, and Kevin, you have practice tonight for the bands. Oh, yes, the new, the new Monday schedule. It's going well. Um, we've moved through about, I would say, 18, 20 songs pretty confidently. Um, we've been putting them up at a pretty good clip every week and now starting to do like review practices and mm-hmm. tightening up on stuff and working on stops and changes and that kind of thing. Just, you know... Like all the frosting, so to speak. Easiest song you had to learn slash most frustrating song you've had to learn so far. Oh, man. Um, the Easiest would be, there's like songs that I've known for my whole life. Sure. Right? Like songs that I've known and been playing in bands since I was 16 or 17. Um, a song like that, that song, My Own Worst Enemy, right? Yep. Super easy. I've played it with tons of different bands. I that know was it fun, actually. In my sleep. <laughs> it was fun. Um, most frustrating, I feel like we haven't really got to yet. Oh. We've sort of deliberately saved some of the tougher stuff. There's a few songs that are going to be harder to put together than a lot of the easy things we move through. So I think the toughest stuff yeah. is yet to come. Mm-hmm. Toughest thing, though, is looking up. Because, you know, it's you would like to take the time to learn everything by ear, but it's easier to use you know guitar tabs and right. notes that you find online for a basis. And you're slogging through a lot of crap because they're all user submitted. So you get a lot of stuff where you'll be looking at it like that's not that's not right at all. That's not what this guy's playing. Yeah, here. this isn't how you play this song. <laughs> and, and I'll pull back the curtain of musicians. When I was a kid, for whatever reason, when you're young and stupid, you'll look at that tab, and that tab is gospel, even if it's obviously wrong. I've seen people get fights. Seen that happen, yeah, yeah, it's like no, the tab says this. Like, what, you think some guy on the internet knows the answers? <laughs> some guy who wrote this up on like dot press or whatever it is, like Microsoft, like Microsoft Note. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. We, we desperately did stuff like that. When we were, I think now YouTube has allowed us to learn music at a way we never could before. YouTube, yeah. I mean, you want to take the full left turn. Like, when we, from growing up, you know, when you're looking up tabs on the internet and before you really can hear anything by ear and you're really yeah. relying on that as a tool, and it has been much easier for some of these uh, tougher songs to go and look up on YouTube and you can, even if somebody's not walking you through what they're doing, you can watch what their hands are doing and it gives you a great basis and so if there's one weird little thing you can't catch, you're like, well, what did he do right there? And you can't figure it out. If you look on YouTube, it's a huge, huge resource to be able to see like, oh, okay, and sort of push you along and nudge. It's an excellent tool, and it really has changed the way that you learn how to you know, play, whether you're trying to learn a song or learn technique and like YouTube lessons and stuff like that, too. What a time to be alive. Maybe I should play guitar. You should play drums. Bass. You should play drums, and we can start a Uticast band. Could. If you, try. If you had to pick an instrument, that you'd like to learn? Which is the most appealing to you? Well, I played the cello for so, a long time, so probably so the bass. bass. Yeah, I was going to say. the bass. Yeah, that would yeah. probably be what I would be well, most She could play bass. I I'll teach you how to play bass after we record the show, like, every week. Okay. Start taking bass lessons. Lessons? Mm-hmm. Are free? Yeah. Kind of well, you no, know, I'm going to charge you. Big. Heather, did you sure. bring your $10? Just making sure, guys. <laughs> All right, so let's get to a couple quick news stories for the week. Uh, because, honestly... Let's, well, this first news we story. made it. This first news story. <laughs> well, this first one's important because if things change, there might not be a podcast next week because mm. the Mega Millions is at one point six billion dollars as of right now. Today. That's crazy. One point six billion dollars. What do you even do with that? That's like I don't even know. Get a lawyer. <laughs> uh, uh, and Powerball. That's, and not the yeah. guy who handled your aunt's real estate deal. You get you go to a big city and you get a real lawyer. So uh, the Powerball as well is at six hundred and twenty. Million, which means right now there are 2.2 billion dollars of uh, of lottery winnings out there to be had, folks. I'm not a lottery ticket guy, but it is funny to look at the the world at large when the numbers get this big and just seeing people who've never bought lottery tickets before walk into the gas station like, ah, where do I get a Powerball? What do I do? It's really oh, it makes me. I think I should get one. Are you gonna get one? 
I say no, but then I get annoyed that mm, I don't know. I bought a Mega Millions ticket on my birthday at the mm. urging of somebody else. I happened to be out and I was going in to get gas anyway. I was like, you know, get get a ticket. You never know what's your birthday. And I got one. I'm like, man, that's a lot of money. It didn't really cost much. Um, I don't want to be the stick in the mud about it though. But so there's 2.2 billion on the table yep. with the lottery. Mm-hmm. What could that 2.2 billion do for? Infrastructure and healthcare, and like is giving you it away facilitate it. to people. That's right. See, that's why I want to. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. If I win this money, <laughs> reinvest a lot of it in those kind of things. That would be the cool thing. If you win a billion dollars, you become like a. Oh yeah. I mean, you become a, a player. You can like have everything you want. The top. Yeah. Well, let me throw you. So these are some of the things. These are from uh, this is from NBC or CNBC's reporting. Here's just some percentages of what people said they would spend their earnings on if they won, okay? Uh, 33.3% of people said the thing they're most excited to do with their money if they win big is to share it with other people. Absolutely. I Number one. The same That's how thing. I feel, I too. I've always thing. thought if I win the lottery, like, everybody, if I had, if you win that much money, you got $700 million, everybody I know is getting, like, at least a million. Oh, Angela's getting so much money? <laughs> we're paying oh, for, my God. We're paying for everybody's house. We're paying for everybody's student loans, like... Because if you have 700, you can give away 200 million and not even notice. Uh, next highest was 21.2%, which just said saving slash investing the money for the future, aka nothing. I'm taking this money and sitting on it forever. It's mine. Leave me alone. That's what I assume that is, right? Every year I get older, I identify with that a little bit more, too. <laughs> uh, next highest, though, 8.8 was quitting my job. I feel like that's kind of... I think that's part one. <laughs> it depends, though, because like I feel like if you like your job, just because you got the money, maybe you hang on. No. no. Depends what you do. Dep- no, it does depend what you do, actually, yeah. I bet. Because like here's like, if I if I want all that money, yeah, you some people would definitely still go to work. If you like what you're doing, it's important. People who are teachers or people who work in the community or people who do different things like that. It would change the way you approach that work, but there's some people who would still go to work. Yeah. Uh, so the odds of winning the Powerball, the $620 million uh, Powerball, is 1 in 292 million. So there's your, there's your odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the $1.6 billion, it's 3.26 million. 1 in 302.6 million is your odds to win it. That's so crazy. I, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I am one of those. What about all this show. one in a million garbage? I know. Yeah. I do generally agree with the sentiment that the lottery is a tax on stupid people. Yes. And I get where that comes from, and especially people who you see them if you you're out and about enough. People going in playing quick draw every single day at a bar, or people going to buy their scratch offs every day and staying right there scratching them off like fiends and buying more. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing. But I feel like when it gets this big, and if you're gonna spend what like ten dollars, it's like two dollars a play was what I mm-hmm. paid. So you spend yeah. ten. Throw away, throw away more money than that on coffee in yeah. a day, probably. You might as well go get a ticket and dream big just for a couple of days. Uh, as of today, this is the single highest lottery jackpot of all time. Uh, number two is a $1.56 billion from 2016. Uh, so that's pretty crazy, really, when you think about it. Um, so uh, if, for some reason, one of our amazing listeners is the person who wins this Powerball... You're in luck because I have a list of things that you're supposed to do. So here's a run-through of what you're supposed to do if you actually win the lottery, okay? Uh, one, make sure you have a safe place to store your winning ticket, like super obviously. Go buy a safe specifically for that the ticket. That would be ticket. the scariest time. Yeah, yeah. the scariest that time. That would be the yeah. scariest time. Standard advice is to sign the back of your ticket. However, you must you may first want to check the law of the state where you purchased the ticket uh, some states allow you to claim anonymously, but some others don't. We'll get back to that in a minute because I have another point on that. But yeah. uh, number two, 
enlist the help of pros. Kev, you made a joke about this, but... No, it, no, I wasn't joking. Yeah, it does say you should hire at least an attorney, a financial advisor, and a tax advisor almost immediately. Yeah, and the, the that advice specifically is you walk into, like, uh, you know, one of the top 50 law firms in the country. Like, you go into New York, and you demand to speak to a partner. You've got that ticket. They'll talk to you. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But you get somebody, you know, who has no ties to your life, no nothing, who's experienced with large sums of money and like huge cases because that's who you are now when you win money like that uh number three keep your win quiet one of the oh. things that used to drive me nuts when i was a kid they'd show like the person in the paper holding up the, the big check. check oh my god you know that your target almost immediately well they there's a there's a post there's an article somebody wrote i can show you one time where they were talking the whole idea of congratulations congratulations you won the lottery you're completely screwed. Mm. And they went through, they're like, no, seriously, and going through the stats of how you're a victim for lawsuits and crimes, and you're like 100 times more likely to get murdered or like kill yourself or have drug yeah. problems. And mm -hmm. it was really bleak where it's basically like a very small percentage of people who win a huge amount of money like that can deal with it in a way that doesn't end up negatively affecting their life. Uh, this is an important one as well, and it sort of ties into keeping a team together. Uh, you have to choose at some point in time uh, whether you're going to mull over a lump sum or an annuity. Now, I don't know how... It depends on how old you are, I assume, right? Yeah. If you're an older person, give me that lump sum. I feel like the annuity is the way to go if you're a young person, you got to take right? the annuity. You get more money, and it's guaranteed money every year. So even if you go absolutely nuts in 2019 <laughs> and you spend all the money you have coming in, you're guaranteed to get that money every year for the next 20. Mm -hmm. So you can never go too far off the rails because that money is always coming as long as you're alive. You give up a certain amount of money, too. For the Mega Millions, for example, uh, if you want the money as a lump sum, the immediate cash option is $904 million. So you're losing $100 some odd. It's a lot of money to Only lose. $904 Only nine? million? Yeah. You might as well be broke. Um, <laughs> and then number five, this is what I remember from watching that ESPN documentary, which is Anticipate Taxes. Before you start yeah. planning on how to spend your hundreds of millions, you should know a big chunk of it's going to the federal and state government. Uh, federal government will shave off 24% before the amount even reaching, reaches you. Mm -hmm. uh, that could reduce the, uh, the Mega Millions cash option by 217 to $687 million. It's a lot of taxes. But still, yeah. worth it. <laughs> As it should yeah. be 24%. That's not that crazy. But that's why you need professionals. I know mm -hmm. in today's day and age where like everybody's an expert because they all have the internet or whatever it is, like, you're not smart enough to handle that much money carefully. you got to get the lawyer, the financial advisor. That would be... So here's one for you, and this is what they say, but I don't know if I could do it. It says, for both the Powerball and Mega Millions jackpots, winners get anywhere from three to six months to one year to claim their prize, depending on where the winning ticket was purchased. There's no need to rush to the uh, lottery headquarters the day you win. Ec experts recommend taking as much time as you need. Mm -hmm. This is a quote... The time between the day you win the lottery and the day you claim it is the last period of normalcy for the rest of your life. Jeez, I've never thought about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, it's true. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't I, be coming here anymore on Mondays. I don't no. have a bodyguard and stuff. I mean, I feel like I say it right now, like I would stop doing the show if I won the lottery. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably want to talk about it. But again, we just said keep your win quiet. So right. if the show's not here next week, uh, I didn't win the lottery, but I'm just done with it. So don't call me. Don't ask. Yeah, don't, yeah, call don't, me. don't call me. Don't, don't have call me. me. Uh, nothing. Nothing happened. No, that's, that's you know what you said something earlier that I think is one of the biggest things because you know you, I think everybody daydreams about what it'd be like to win some huge sum of money. But one of my favorite daydreams about it is if I can claim it, I would want to claim it anonymously mm -hmm. and never tell a soul 
Eventually, yeah. you would have to. That's not Eventually. realistic for your whole life. But like, can you imagine having three hundred million dollars for an eight month period of time where nobody knows? Where you're just keeping it, keeping it pretty regular, and just sort of setting everything up in the background, oh, and just yeah. like quietly. I think I could be quiet about it. it I, there's almost I no I chance could. I would be able to, but I, I think... would like to get it anonymous. I don't need my name in the paper and have no. every person like I've anonymous. ever known come at me. It would be like that scene in Goodfellas where they give me the money and they go, "Hey." Don't spend anything right now. Just wait a little bit. And I'd be in the next scene like, I can't get the biggest Christmas tree I could find. Everybody got a PlayStation 4. They're like, what happened to you? I'm like, oh, I just came into the raise. I got to pay a raise. Everyone's getting Xboxes. Um, no, I I do think, though, that, like, I wonder if it would make you a bad person. Is that the only thing I'm thinking of? Like, what? if you gave me $1.6 billion, would I inherently become a worse person because I would be, like, obsessed with money? For the rest of my life, like this would be my whole thing now. I feel like that's the struggle. Being that's able the to, struggle. Yeah, being able to stay grounded. You know what I mean? Like that's the. I feel like that's I the problem. Travel. I think it would be easier for you now because travel. you're older. I think you're you would be a better person if you won that money now than you would have been if you had won it at eighteen. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Like well, you know what you want more out of your life now than. You well, know. you're a little. You just got more life experience. Yeah. Like you're not. You know. Where would you want to go? You said travel. Where I would, would have a house. Well, Everywhere all the I time. I know. I Zach and I always talk about if we want something like that. We'd live out in the Adirondacks, included, mm-hmm. like way out and have a compound. Yeah, no, seriously. We. Would I know. Be, no. That's where we love to be, and we wouldn't. We'd be anonymous. I'd have my own lake. <laughs> We've gotten totally off the rails about this, but uh, Justin Parkinson from Made in Utica and I were watching a basketball game last week, and we were noticing they're showing like the celebrities in the crowd, and it got me sort of thinking like, you know, if it had like all this kind of money, like the things I would buy, like you'd probably want to have a couple different houses, but I'd feel like season tickets for some sort of sporting <laughs> team is also high on my list. Like I would definitely have like Liverpool season tickets for like, me. That's yeah. like I'd want, right? Like No, I feel like because then you would have to be near it all the time to make it even make sense. Because you would have so much money that if you had, you're like, hey, I'm in town, I want to go to this specific game. I don't care what it costs, just get me tickets. You wouldn't even need right. a season ticket. You don't need right. the season ticket discount. But if I'm living in New York City, I'd want those Knicks season tickets. I feel like I'd want Maybe. them as yeah. a yeah. Yeah. You know yeah, well, Because so, you're living there. So that would make sense. Well, you could have them. You give would I move out of Utica if I won the lottery? Yes, you would. Because no, no you think about it. You might house not. on the parkway. <laughs> you get multiple houses, right? That's the move. You get the big house here, and then you get like a dope apartment or kickout spot in like Brooklyn or New York that you can hang in. Then you got the camp somewhere up north mm-hmm. in case it all goes down, and you got to live in the camp for the rest of your life, or just chilling as well. And then maybe... Then a bungalow on the West Coast. Yeah, seasonal residence on the West Coast. <laughs> seasonal residence. He's been thinking about this. It would be... <laughs> not just not just this week, in like my whole life. Yeah. Like for... It would be crazy, though, because if you had that money and you chose to stay here, I mean, think about, really, with that kind of money, what you could do here. Justin what, like you, Justin, what are you doing with $1.6 If you're staying in Utica. With a B? Yeah, yeah a billion. B. So he wouldn't change Nothing. anything. He would, do, he would still spend no money and still play old video <laughs> games and just sit on his millions. I love it. Typical Parkinson answer. Uh, all right. So, it's, you know, it's funny. We spent like 10 minutes on this and someone will probably win it like tonight and then this will all be irrelevant. <laughs> right? Like this whole so conversation. That's the way it usually goes for us. I know. Tell us, tweet at us or email us and tell us about some of the things you would do if you want. Yeah. I'd be very curious to hear because it's always interesting to hear from people what they would do. Because I think every, like I said, I think everybody's thought about it. Mm. So everybody's got that scenario where they're like, here's what I would do if I mm. won, you know, all this money. Ah, Parkinson yelled, I'd buy a low-level sports team and then play for it. 
I feel like I wouldn't want to bring the team down. Is my, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good Your enough. The world's already down, so uh, it's yeah. make it worse. By a crummy team. Yeah, that's true. I might. I feel like if there's, I don't know if there's anything in Utica I'd buy. I might buy the standard. I, I would buy, or you can't buy up a 60% of the city. I bet, I bet <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's nothing you would buy. I There's a ton of things you would buy. Sure. I'm trying. Oh, I'm just trying to think like what I would want to. I wouldn't want to buy it out from somebody. I right? turned the gold dome bank into my house. Ooh, <laughs> yes, I'm living at the Stanley now, guys. Uh, all right, I did have some other stories that are much more serious than this. So let's uh, let's just run through them really quickly. I had hoped to sort of talk more about the the Saudi Arabian uh, the issue in Saudi Arabia with uh, journalist Khashoggi and them trying to cover up this murder that they that they committed. They're still talking about it. They're still talking still about it. Um, Saudi foreign minister came out this week, said the murder... They are admitting to the murder now? Is that where we are? Yeah, this is, called, this is called the trickle truth. The truth, yeah. This is what goes on. So the, they're saying the murder was a tremendous mistake and that it was a... I've heard that, rogue, that's true. I've heard a rogue operation. That's a word they're that's throwing That's a lie. Out. No, no, that's, that's a lie. I heard lie. like a fist fight. I've heard of a body double, like somebody mm-hmm. came out wearing Khashoggi's clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also heard that the Turkish president is coming out basically saying that he's going to give out all the dirt on Tuesday. So by the time you folks hear this, he's going to bear he's going to lay the full nakedness of it. That was the quote he had. So last week I had sort of talked about how I was happy that this story was like hanging around in the news. It's important, yeah. But now I'm concerned that the longer it hangs around in the news, the more this whole thing is just going to turn into let's watch every this obvious cover-up for murder gets slowly explained away to nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what I think is happening, and I'm yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm less pleased that it's hanging around in the news now for the way it is now. I just um, feel like it's... I think it, people will be paying attention more to journalists now, though, that this happened. Like, I, situations like that. I'm just speculating. Okay. But you think the Saudis, like, did this just under the assumption that no one was ever going to question them about it? <laughs> well, they Absolutely. said that. That was the story. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a story in, uh, it was either BBC or New York Times today, where they were talking about that, you know, they've got, you know, sources who deal with the Saudis who say that the crown prince, the guy who sort of popped this whole thing off, is shocked. <laughs> shocked. Like, he's yeah. like, I can't believe, like, he's really genuinely taken aback that people care so much. So it was like a miscalculation yeah. to the point where they didn't. And the interesting point that somebody made when they were talking about it that is pretty spot on, they're like, well, you know, from a certain perspective, of course he's shocked. I mean, they're, you mm-hmm. know, killing people, yeah. like, innocent people in Yemen daily. So all of a sudden they care about this one guy. You're shocked that they care about this guy if you don't seem to care about all these people. Right. But either way, that's, you know, people are saying that he was sort of taken aback and didn't expect it to cause as big of a scrum as it has. So I think you're spot on with that. Okay, uh, let's move on. Um, I've tr- Again, I've, over the last few weeks, I've really tried to limit any sort of like Trump coverage because it feels sort of pointless. Yes. Uh, but what I've decided is that I'm going to try and find one Trump thing a week that either makes me laugh or I think is an odd Trump story. And this week's, it was just to normalize it. I'm not normalizing it. Uh, this is just a quote from Trump saying that when it comes to climate change, he has a natural instinct for science, which is objectively one of the funnier quotes I've ever heard. I don't think that science works that way. I don't think you can have a natural instinct for science. Like, science fundamentally isn't about that. Dr. Manhattan disagrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I, I, it's just like, it's science isn't about instincts, right? It's about, like, proving instincts. Yeah, of course it right? is. <laughs> like, just, of course not it anymore. is. Fucking not before. Anymore. Like, what are you gonna... And it's just a reminder, like, this idea that, like, people, like, scientists are torn on climate change. I said that, that's what I said when I, when I said everybody thinks they're an expert now. And we've talked about it with, you know, climate change and with, you know, the vaccination people and all this different stuff. 
everybody thinks because they read some articles on the internet that they're some expert and we've sort of lost this reverence and understanding that there's certain people who literally spend their whole life like learning and working on this stuff and just throw them away because yeah. you know people think their ignorance is just as good as somebody's informed factual opinion it's wild uh, this is actually a qu- uh, tweet from astrophysicist Katie Mack, who, no- who noted that, uh, again, there is no natural instinct for science. That is not a thing. There is curiosity, there is exploration, and there is the desire to learn and grow and test one's naive notions against cold, hard data. Believing in a natural instinct for scientists is, uh, an- uh, is athemia to everything science is. Anathema. Anathema. Yeah. Anathema. Sounds Good like an Angels and Airwaves song. It does sound like an Angels and Airwaves song. Or a Tool song. Um, again, it's winter now, so I guess the... the it's not warming anymore. I don't know much about how global. Oh god! <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm oh sorry. god! I couldn't help myself. I didn't give it to him. Do you I was remember? Like looking at you for a do second. you remember how it was 80 last week? Yeah, I do remember. 82 <laughs> degrees, and I was picking pumpkins with my son. 82 degrees out. That's true. It, it was, we were sweating. So I'll, t- I'll give you a good story, actually. Uh, yesterday, or Sunday, I had to go to the uh, Making Strides to Breast Cancer Walk at the Masonic Home, which is a really, really nice event, and our, our kids at school go out. We had like 100 kids in Proctor who were out there. Right. We do this event every year, so this is maybe my fourth year in a row going with kids. Last year, I wore a T-shirt. Yesterday, I was... Freezing to death. These last couple days have been yeah. quite cold. <laughs> like the heavy cold just yes. coming booming around, and it's only going to get worse from here. Um, so I don't have much more on this besides what's out there. I just wanted to talk to the other big news of the week. Did you guys see that Canada legalized marijuana? Across the whole country. Across the whole country. Yeah. Did you see? There was a lot of funny content. There was a lot of funny content coming out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the first uh, ticket for intoxication came in like four hours afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think that's good, though. Like, to a certain extent, like, it's good that they immediately put out the story, like, like first guy gets picked up for, like, drug charge. Yeah, because, yeah. well, because as much as everybody likes to laugh and joke, and almost by nature of the issue itself, mm. people like to get the giggles about it, but, you know, it's it's open to say, like, if you're going to legalize it, which it mm. really, really should be, you know, everywhere, really, at this point, mm. you do have to police people and keep an eye, because it is an intoxicant, just like alcohol is, and there's certain levels where, you know, the line has to be drawn, and it can't just be a free-for-all, and so you're right, it is good to get out front yeah. and show that, and be like, hey, you know, if you're having some questions, some reservations, look, we are making sure to keep an eye, like, this is not some hippie nightmare. Hey, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Right. Put her on the spot. No, I'm just curious. I don't know if it's something that you and your husband have ever talked about. Like, your son is going to grow up probably in a in a world where marijuana isn't considered as taboo or dangerous as it was 20 years ago. Are you prepared to, like, have that discussion with Kaz? And the, have you guys thought about what's going to happen? I think by the time it comes around to him, it'll just be normal. Well, that's what, that's like, kind so of what I won't I, yeah. really have to discuss. Three be like, years old, he goes to concerts and climbs <laughs> rocks in the woods. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a done I know, deal. but, like, it's just kind of like beer. You'll say, be, you know, you let us know if you need a ride well, home. Make have... sure you don't. I don't know. Yeah. No, you'll. <laughs> well, you know, but those will be the conversations we'll have at that you'll point. Have mature, I, I hope so. You'll anyway. have mature conversations. I mean, it's almost like, you know, when you talk about, when I talk about like sex education in this country, too, the same thing, you can be like, don't ever do it and stay away from it. And that's like, no, let's have a conversation honestly about what it is. And hopefully more people will have that same attitude that you guys have and be like, no, we're just going to talk to the kid and tell him, you know, what it is. Yeah. If you're curious about uh, where America is at this right uh, stance right now, according to the most recent polls, 62% of Americans believe that marijuana should be legalized. 34% believe it should not. If you go back to 1969, 12% of Americans thought it should be legalized, and 84 thought it was supposed to it should be illegal. So it's you're really talking about. I, I'm not like knocking people in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting to see that much of a sea change of that much of a 
shift in perspective over what's effectively like not that long of a period well, of time. Is, I mean, that's something that really is going on quite a great deal in the culture where there's a lot of things shifting very quickly. We talk about it all the time, but you look mm-hmm. the last 10, 20 years, how many attitudes about so many things have shifted. It's really crazy to well, see. Well, you're also seeing more like um, videos about how it helps medically and things like you didn't see then. You know, so you're seeing how productive and I think well, no. I think no. you're right because a lot of the talking points about drugs in the past. I actually watched a good uh, video about this on the New York Times uh, YouTube channel a couple of days ago. They were talking about like LSD mm-hmm. and mushrooms and how it's impossible to do actual medical and scientific studies on them because of the sort of draconian because drug of the laws. way they're scheduled. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the way they're yeah. scheduled. Yeah. Uh, and what they're finding out now is that a lot of the information we knew about uh, drugs from this era is incorrect or was skewed. For the sake of shifting public opinion, yeah. right? So uh, it's it's important, I think, if nothing else, that we're allowed to like do the research. Right? Did you get a chance to ask the assemblyman what he thinks about legalization? I did not. Interesting. I did not, unfortunately. Um, it would have been a good question, though, and uh, it's one New of the York few State things could benefit to. Some, I mean, yeah. think about think about the agricultural areas we have, and all the. I mean, the location, like New York State, really mm. could do would do very well to legalize and start reaping some of the mm. tax benefits of. You know this whole booming thing. I mean, look at Colorado; they're making a lot of money, a lot of money. Uh, so I just want to share this with you before we get to the interview. Actually, this is another graph they have on here, and it shows the different breakdowns of generations of who believes that, uh, what percentage believes marijuana should be legal. So millennials, obviously, it's very high, seventy-four uh, percent. Gen X, which they're saying is sixty-five through nineteen eighty, those are the years they're putting for that. Uh-huh. That's sixty-three percent. Even the boomer generation, though, nineteen forty-six to sixty-four, fifty-four percent are on the pro-legalization side. Only the silent generation from 1928 to 1945 is below 50 at 39%. So folks live in nursing homes. Yeah. And they've actually gone up from 15% in 1970 to 40% in, in 2018. So even yeah. that is still pretty impressive. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Uh, that's all I really have. I that's d- always one of the things that seems crazy to me with all the political issues is certain times, and I think legalization is one of these issues... It seems inevitable, so why are you trying to fight against it instead of leaning into it and going in with a plan and doing it right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Grew up with morally, but maybe that's maybe that's why I would call myself a progressive person. But I feel like you know, time is always marching forward, and things Mm. are always going to change. And you can either keep trying to fight to keep everything the same and go backwards. Or you can lean into it with open arms and, you know, do it right because it's coming anyway, so you might as well. I talk about it all the time in, uh, as a history teacher. You want to be on the right side of history, whether it's the popular opinion or not, right? It's it, At the end of the day, you want to do the thing that feels morally right because at the end of the day, if, if everything shakes out the way you it feels like it should, the moral people will succeed i hope <laughs> that seems like a question now we'll see what know. happens i don't know morals seem overrated in this climate i don't know uh, unfortunately we don't have to worry about that with this week's guest he's a very principled moral gentleman he's a good friend of the pod this is his fourth time Woo-hoo. on the show uh and again i said it to him during the interview i you know anthony uh along with uh joe marino some of the first like politicians if you want a local politicians who were willing to come onto the show and talk to us when they didn't really have to. People didn't know... Again... I think Mary Paul Mary would have been the first first. Very early on, Mary Paul yeah. Mary. Uh, again, it was those, a big get early. It was a big get early, and I, I do think that, you know, it speaks to the way that local politics and local elections are different than national elections, where you really can know sort of people. reach out and know these people. And I've been lucky enough to talk to Anthony many times. 
Uh, full disclosure, Anthony had a uh, meeting this evening when we did the interview, uh, so I really did only have a, a tight half an hour to get our interview in. Life's getting very busy. Very busy. And uh, But again, I felt very... It was a great conversation. We got through a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of policy stuff is very early, and then at the end, I tried to add some more fun questions. Spice it up. Uh, I did have some uh, some listener questions in there as well, so for mm-hmm. uh, Amy B. and our GFOP Ken Smith, thanks for sending those questions in we used. Uh, but that's it. No more delay. Let's get to this week's interview. His fourth time on the show, uh, Assemblyman Anthony Brindisi, as he gets ready for the 2018 midterm elections. This is your fourth time on the show. You are officially tied for second with most appearances all time. Um, local local com- comedy legend Phil Farda still number one. <laughs> I don't. Sorry, Phil. I'm, I'm gonna have to pass him at some point in as time. As long as I'm beating Joe Marino, I'll tell you. You're him. still beating Joe, and right. I'm I'm Joe. I know Joe's gonna be mad at me, but uh, <laughs> I know this was important. I really wanted to come talk to you. Uh, first off, I know that you are in the last two weeks here for yes. Election Day. <laughs> What's your stress levels at right off the bat, would you say? Just so much work, I got to feel like, right? No, I, I think uh, at, at the end of the day, my, my stress is pretty good because I, I, I feel that we've put everything we could into this campaign. We're going to continue to do that over the next two weeks. And whatever happens on November 6th happens. Um, but I know that we did everything we could, and I think we're going to win. Uh, now, I have to tell you a couple things that are important, just because I wanted to get them out of the way. Yep. Uh, one, no one in my neighborhood has had the stones to come vandalize my Brindisi sign. So I've seen that there's been some talk about that. No one's come to my house. No one's come to the studio. You're the fortunate one. I am the fortunate one. Um, but I will say, and I think the, and this was something that was talked about on Twitter and on Facebook last couple of weeks about the signs being vandalized. I would say based on what I've seen compared to the past, and maybe you can set me straight on this, this does seem like it's been very contentious between you and Claudia. Yeah. Would you say that it was... Did you expect it to be this heated and appointed at this point, or is it a little surprising to you? It's not really surprising. I've, I've known her for a long time. Um, I've seen the kind of campaigns that she has run mm-hmm. in the past, and I fully expected a very negative campaign uh, because, frankly, my opponent doesn't have a record to run on. So she's not going to talk about her votes on health care, her votes for tax giveaways to billionaires, mm-hmm. uh, her votes to uh, take away privacy over the Internet. Mm-hmm. She's not going to talk about that stuff, so she has to try and... Uh, really hammer me and try and paint me as someone that can run a very divisive campaign. Now, uh, so yesterday I was on. Uh, and this is kind of this is kind of a weird story, but I was watching YouTube at the end of the night. I was watching soccer highlights, all the different okay. soccer games. And I don't know if you if you use YouTube, you have to put videos in a queue. And I had seven videos in a queue, and in between every video, I was very confused. There was a 10 second ad that was running, and it said and it was only three lines of dialogue. It said, Trump. Tenny, and then it said Brindisi Pelosi, and then it said the choice is easy. And that was the whole commercial. And I said to myself, well, yeah, the choice is easy. Who's this commercial for? And I was very confused <laughs> by it. Um, do you feel, though, uh, and I, this is a thing I've heard time and time again over the last few weeks, this sort of 
desire by Claudia to sort of frame you as this Anthony Cuomo rubber stamp or this Nancy Pelosi rubber stamp. And we've talked about it in the past. Sure. Can you just one more time discuss why this isn't necessarily true? <laughs> it's funny because my kids did a, they were doing a little skit last mm. night. And yeah, yeah. They, they replayed the commercial live for me between <laughs> my son and my daughter. So uh, it's, it, it's, it's a, when you don't have issues to run on, you try and distract from the things that people actually care about, like health care, like jobs, and you try and paint your opponent as someone that they're not. Mm-hmm. I said during our forum last week at the Rome Chamber of Commerce, I don't know if Claudia Tenney knows who she's running against because mm-hmm. she wants to run a campaign against Andrew Cuomo. She wants to run a campaign against Sheldon Silver. She wants to run a campaign against Nancy Pelosi. When the fact is, on Silver, I was one of a handful of Democrats mm-hmm. that go against him and, and help oust him from his role. You can read about it in the Wall Street Journal. There's an article entitled, When Silver Dug In, Young Guns Revolted. That was me and a group of younger members who led the charge to get rid of him. Uh, on Cuomo, uh, time and time again, I've stood up against the governor. I've also worked with the governor, which I think the role of a representative is, if the executive is doing something that's gonna harm your area, you gotta stand up against the executive. If the executive is doing something that's gonna help your area, you gotta work with that person. Same thing with the president. Uh, but on, on, on education issues, uh, on economic development issues, I held a state of the state here in Utica with an empty exactly. chair for the governor. I don't think he liked that. Um, so I've stood up against him. And on Nancy Pelosi, I've said time and time again, I'm not supporting her as leader yeah. uh, because I want to see a change in leadership on both sides yeah. of the aisle in Washington. I do find it disconcerting from my end that it seems like this is the new face of politics, is to just sort of present everybody as another version of somebody else. Because like you've said many times in the past, I think that your biggest strength, at least from my opinion, knowing you the way I know you, is that you have run this campaign for the people of this district in mind. There's a difference between running for the people of this community and running a national campaign. Right. And you've done an excellent job of sort of catering to the community. Uh, and I think that's what can that's what makes me upset when I see all these advertisements. Right. Uh, now, I have a, a question that was sent in from one of our listeners. This sure. is from Amy Barack in Utica. Uh, this is also a question about political commercials. It was, what are your thoughts on political commercials that are not directly endorsed by your opponent, yeah. but by the RNC or like Citizens United? Do you... Do you feel like they sort of forced you to make this race less local than it could have been? Well, they, they want to try and nationalize the race. Right. Uh, if you look at the commercials I put out there, we're running two types of commercials. One are positive commercials talking about my accomplishments. So I featured my children mm-hmm. and about working together. I have featured a volunteer firefighter that uh, we helped mm-hmm. uh, get cancer benefits for volunteer firefighters. Now I'm featuring a commercial with the Republican mayor from Frankfurt distribution center to this area. We're also running commercials to respond to some of the negative attack ads that she's putting out there, trying to correct the record. I'm not for open borders. Uh, I'm not for giving um, benefits away to folks who are here illegally. So we have to also correct the record. But it's, it's, it's really part of a larger conversation we have to have in this country about this outside money in politics. Yeah. That's why I, I decided I'm not taking corporate PAC money in my election. I want to see a constitutional amendment overturning Citizens United. The Supreme Court's never going to do it. Uh, so let's start the process to try and get this money out of politics. That's an area where we should start. It's interesting you say that, too, because every article I've read over the last few months talks about how you have outraised your competition, even without going to these big-scale uh, yeah. uh, fundraising We campaign. just did our, our recent filing. At the end of the third quarter, our average contribution was $65. Uh, so we're actually in the top 20 in the entire country in terms of those small-dollar contributions. Uh, most of it's coming from within New York State, where my opponent relies on 
large special interests, whether it's $300,000 from the financial sector or $50,000 from big oil and gas or the telecommunications industry or pharmaceutical uh, giants, uh, she's really relying on outside money. I want to run a campaign that we can be proud of here locally. Uh, I know that over the last three or four times you've been on the show, we've talked about a lot of these issues, but because we're only a few weeks out from this election, I'd really like to hit a couple points just so I can, our listeners can feel comfortable knowing what your thoughts are on a few different topics, sure. if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with healthcare. Um, my reporting uh, is, is ah, my reporting over the past has shown that you've supported uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you'd like to be able to change the existing system so that every citizen has access to affordable health care. Is that correct? That's correct. Why do you feel, do you feel like there's a reason that this ACA has been such a target? Is it simply just that we want, that the Republicans wanted to remove anything that Obama did in office? Pretty much. I mean, yeah. it really comes down to they've campaigned for the last eight years on repealing Obamacare mm -hmm. or the Affordable Care Act, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they've never really put a plan in place exactly. to replace it. Yeah. Uh, and when you look at the vote that they took uh, in the House that my opponent voted for to repeal the ACA, thank God it didn't pass the Senate because John McCain came in with a thumbs down mm -hmm. at the last exactly. minute to, to get rid of that. But it's really uh, something that is concerning to many people in this area because you have so many folks with pre-existing conditions. The Affordable Care Act prevents insurance companies from discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, it really makes sure that those essential benefits like prescription drug cost or uh, drug treatment programs or maternity care are in place and insurance companies can't discriminate against that kind of thing. But we need to make sure that we're strengthening the Affordable Care Act at this point. It's yeah. not perfect. I have ideas on how we can strengthen it, uh, but, the, but, the, but the solution to me is not scrapping it and yeah. kicking a lot of people off of their health insurance. Well, one of the things that's interesting about it too, especially with healthcare, because I've noticed this has been a concern for a lot of people, healthcare in general, whether it's insurance or trying to find your way through it, is not necessarily easy to understand for somebody who doesn't normally do it, and it's yeah. not always super transparent. So I do think to a certain extent, finding a way to make healthcare more Transparent, I guess, is not the, necessarily the word, but that's like a big thing, especially for the older generation. Right. It gets very tough. It gets tough, and there's so much rhetoric out there, you're not really yeah. sure what to believe. But if you, if you go to town hall meetings like I've been doing over the last 16 months, and you listen to voters, they're scared. I always talk about this one father I met down in uh, Binghamton mm. who told me about his son. He's, uh, he's in his late 20s. He has a very rare immune deficiency. He requires a medication that costs like $5,000 a month. Uh, without this medication, he gets pneumonia six, seven times a year and ends up in the hospital, which is even increasing health care costs. He is a beneficiary of the Affordable Care Act because he was able to get insurance after the Affordable Care Act was passed. His big worry now is if something happens to the ACA and he loses his health, in health insurance, how does he pay for that drug, uh, with which if he doesn't have it, uh, ends up in the hospital? Now he's on that drug, he's working, uh, contributing back to society, and that's what we want to see. And what I hate to see, obviously, you see this happen more and more in this modern era, is I hate to see people go to, like, GoFundMe or these crowd sure. these crowdfunding sources to get medicine. It right. just seems so dark. It seems so otherworldly in a weird it way. Should. No, healthcare should be available and accessible to everybody in this country. It should be affordable. No one should have to worry about going bankrupt because they can't afford to pay for their medical bills or their kids' medical bills. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about education as a guy who works in the public education sector. Now, uh, I know you have a history, you were a member of the board of uh, Utica City Board of Education for yeah. a long time. 
You've said in the past you really are going to fight any sort of attempt to privatize the public education system. Yeah. And I, as a teacher, I think one of the big concerns for me is a lot of public educators are people who love their jobs, who yeah. love doing it. You have to choose to be a teacher if you want to get into public education. And it does feel like that's where we want to be helping people instead of pulling more people away from it, sure. right? Look, I think teachers right now in many states across this country are under attack, and you can see them stepping yeah. up and really speaking out. They're not doing it for their own benefit. They're doing it because they care about their children yeah. that they're teaching. Uh, so we have, a, we have a problem in this country right now where there's almost a, a demonization of public employees and teachers yes. in particular, uh, and we need to have strong advocates in Washington who are able to speak out on behalf of teachers and students. Uh, we have an education secretary, Betsy DeVos, who I think is the worst education secretary we've ever yeah. seen in this country yeah. and is doing everything she can to try and undermine public education uh, and privatize it. we got to stop that, but we need a check in Congress on something, on the things that she's doing. I talk a lot, a lot about her now in terms of student loan debt. Yeah. Uh, because some of the actions she's mm -hmm. taken are really making it harder for people to get out from under their debt. We can be doing things in Congress to lower the debt, uh, make, you know, allowing people to refinance their loans, lowering the interest rates to the prime rate. But one of the things that she's doing is she's allowing these lenders to charge these exorbitant fees on top of the debt, uh, but no one's holding her accountable in Congress. Yes. Well, it does. That seems to be an, an ongoing theme. Is this current administration is not really feeling the need to hold people accountable for what's going on? And all right, so let me run through a couple more things. I know we're. I don't want to run out of questions before we get too much time. Uh, this is a bit of a longer one, and I'm kind of curious what your answer is. Uh, we're going to talk a little Second Amendment stuff here. In the past, we've talked about this on the show. Uh, you've supported universal background uh, checks to be had across the country for gun ownership. Okay, so last Friday, I want to say, a couple Fridays ago, uh, you supported expanding background checks on gun sales, and you blamed the influence of the gun lobby for holding up legislation. You had historically been this guy who had an A rating from the NRA until just recently you got downgraded. Uh, when you made that statement, I have a couple questions, I guess. One, did you expect for that to happen when you made that statement? Well, they downgraded before I made that statement. Before you made the they statement, made, okay. They downgraded already based on really not, I mean, I, my record hasn't well, changed at all, but because well, it's an election ask. year, they're changing my rating. Well, say, what does that process look like? You get a phone call from, like, Dana Loesch, who's like, sorry, you're getting an F. Like, I, I don't think we even got a questionnaire <laughs> asking us for our positions. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, you know, my, my positions have been very clear. I, I, mm. I'm fully supportive of uh, Second Amendment and people's right to bear arms. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought the problem with the SAFE Act was it really uh, turned law-abiding gun owners into mm -hmm. criminals overnight uh, by taking away due process mm -hmm. and some of their constitutional rights. Uh, that was my problem with the, with the legislation. Having said that, we also have to recognize that you can be a supporter of the Second mm -hmm. Amendment and also support some common-sense reforms to try and cut down on gun violence. Mm -hmm. Let's do something that 9 out of 10 Americans agree on, and that's expanded background checks. We have that here in New York State. Yeah. We still have gun violence in New York State. It's committed with guns that are purchased in places like Virginia where they have very lax background check laws and then smuggled up here and sold illegally. Uh, so we can have uh, expanded background checks so we're not allowing guns to get into the hands of criminals and the violently mentally ill, people who commit domestic abuse. Uh, those folks should not have access to firearms. What do you feel, and I, I don't, I'm sure that people could just say the answer is Donald Trump, but what do you feel like it is that has sort of activated this inability between uh, between people in politics to compromise? It seems like there is no interest, even in the in the old days, it seemed like you'd go to the table with two ideas of what you want, 
and you'd end up somewhere in the middle where everybody felt like we got something but not everything. And it feels like that is just a years and years away now. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if, if Trump is to blame. Uh, certainly some of his rhetoric doesn't help. Sure. But this has been building for a long yeah. time in this country. And we got to get back to a point where we can actually sit down and start to compromise on some of these big mm-hmm. issues. Ronald Reagan, the conservative Republican, and Tip O'Neill, a liberal Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, Speaker of the House, were able to come together and work on things and compromise mm-hmm. and get things done. We don't even have that where we now have leaders who won't even come together. Yeah. I take an issue like immigration. Immigration in 2013, the U.S. Senate passed bipartisan comprehensive immigration reform. The House of Representatives has not taken up that bill. Meanwhile, you've got millions of lives that hang in the balance. And you have the House right now being led by people like my opponent who want to uh, go to the extremes on these issues instead of trying to work towards a solution uh, to get something done. That's what we need more in Washington is people who actually have a track record of working together, not folks like my opponent who not only fight with local Republicans, they fight with everybody. Uh, I have noticed, actually, you've been getting a lot of endorsements from local Republicans, who like prominent local Republicans like Richard Hanna. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be... That's got to be a nice feeling for you to know that you, even lo- locally still, you're reaching across, across platforms. It's important, way. and I think Richard did a good job when, yeah. he was, uh, when he was here. I didn't agree with him on every single issue, and yeah. we don't see eye-to-eye in everything, but we recognize that the only way you're going to get things done in Washington is to elect people who actually know how to sit down and work together. Uh, and that's why Richard said he was supporting me, and I, and I appreciate, appreciate his support. Uh, I have one last uh, issues-based question, then I'll move on to some other things with you. Uh, and this is about immigration. Uh, now, immigration is, again, a broad subject, especially here, because when we talk about national immigration and local immigration, we're talking about different things. Um, you're, you've said in the past you support having more border security in a national sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you feel like, again, Utica's biggest, Utica's one of the biggest stories about Utica is the impact of local immigration. Right. So it does feel like it is important to sort of maintain the positivity of that, especially now when it feels like immigration, especially legal immigration, is now somewhat under attack. Sure. Yeah, I I think you can do all of the above. You can have enhanced border security, so you're uh, preventing people from coming into this country illegally. Uh, But you also have to recognize that places like Utica uh, have uh, been very successful in resettling refugees for for many decades now. And the refugees that come here come here legally through a program run by the State Department uh, that vets them for multiple years before they're allowed to get refugee status to come into this country. They're vetted uh, over, I think, two or three years before they can come here. Uh, And now with uh, the administration capping refugee resettlement at 30,000, which is where it was when the program first started, that's going to hurt places like Utica, which have seen the benefits of resettling refugees in terms of revitalizing areas of the city, uh, working in local employers, purchasing homes, uh, starting their own businesses, and now we're an actual we're actually you know on the incline in population as opposed to the decline. And it's funny I, I talk a lot about it. You know I my job with uh, an education job actually puts me in communication with a lot of the folks at Midtown uh, Upstate Community Center and Mohawk yeah. Valley Center for uh, Resource Center for Refugees and. It's um, it's amazing how important those resources have become for all of my students. You know, I never really put two and two together to say how much help they offer on a day-to-day basis for these people who come over from different places, yeah. and to see it in action was really was really 
exciting and, yeah. and made me feel good about where we're progressing as in this area locally. And then when you read the national news, it makes me feel concerned. And I have to tell you, I have kids who are old enough to read the news but not old enough to vote who do wonder whether they should be scared yeah. about what's going to happen in the yeah. future. And I sometimes don't know what to tell them. It, it is scary. I, I, my kids are now 11 and 8 years old, yeah. and they're way more aware of current events than I was at their age. And we have to explain to them sometimes things that are going on, try and use those uh, experiences as, as a learning experience, uh, things that are happening. Uh, but it, it is tough, and you have to be open. But uh, I was very happy to work with Joe Griffel, actually, to get some mm -hmm. funding for our local refugee center to help offset some of the losses that they're getting because of uh, uh, policies nationally. Mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate because my opponent will talk a lot about uh, her role in helping to resettle refugees. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. But then you, you, you see some of the commercials they're running, and uh, you have to question uh, a lot of that. So. I, I would question her taking credit for that. I'll say that. For yeah. sure. <laughs> I saw some of the quotes about that today. <laughs> um, so, again, folks, uh, for more information, it's obviously BrindisiForCongress.com. Uh, you're on Facebook. You're on Instagram. You're on Twitter. I just have to ask you, your social media pro presence has been pretty active, I would say, even going back to when you were first on the show a few years ago. Yeah. Would you say that the, that's, a newer aspect of, that's a newer aspect of politics that really didn't exist is it, it's sort of required now if you're a politician to sort of have the social media presence, is it not? You have to do it. And, uh, and I think it's, a, it's an effective uh, uh, tool for communicating with your constituents. Uh, it can mm. be misused. Uh, Certainly. As we have seen over the last <laughs> couple of years. But I, I like being able to uh, communicate with constituents that way. Uh, and that's something we're doing through the campaign. We're not just advertising in the traditional sense on uh, the, the broadcast stations and through yeah. mail. We have a very active presence on uh, with our digital media on yeah. Facebook and YouTube and other platforms out yeah. there. And I think as times change, uh, you're going to see more of that, maybe less uh, the traditional television and uh, mail and more towards online. Well, I like that, to be honest. And again, this is just a personal gripe. I, going back and watching the Kavanaugh hearings, I, I watched them on TV just like everybody else did. Yeah. And one of the things that frustrated me the most about the entire process, besides the fact, obviously, that it went the way it did, but... I felt like everybody on stage felt like they were from a different time or a different generation. And I was, I just feel like there's a lot of people like myself and even the generation younger than me that doesn't feel comfortable with somebody in their 70s or 80s representing us because they don't understand the way the world works now. Right. Is it sort of important for politicians now to keep on top of current trends in that way and sort of relate to young people in a way that they hadn't in the past? Absolutely. And I mean, that, that's something we're trying to do through this campaign. One of the things that I talk a lot about in the campaign is really trying to energize younger voters on mm -hmm. the college campuses because we have so many great colleges and universities in this congressional district. We've been spending a lot of time, and I've been going to each of the college campuses talking to younger voters about issues that they care about because I want them to show up and vote on Election Day, but I don't expect them to come out and vote exactly. for me unless I'm showing up and listening to their right. concerns and giving them some, some feedback as to where I stand on the issues. Because this is your fourth time on the podcast, I had to come up with some new lightning round questions. <laughs> Pardon me. Sorry, this coffee's killing me. Uh, so, question number one. Uh, what political governmental figure has influenced you the most over your career? Either a person you've met or a person idealistically that you feel like you follow? Um, I mean, a lot of people probably say Abraham Lincoln, but, sure. but truly, I mean, someone who really led this country through one of our darkest periods mm. uh, and, and most divided times and able to bring us together. I, I talk about the, the book, The Team of Rivals, mm -hmm. Doris, uh, Excellent. Doris Kearns Goodwin book. Uh, 
that's a great book, I think, for anyone going into government to read uh, to try and learn how we can work together even uh, against great odds. Um, what is the most interesting thing you've heard about yourself that isn't true during this <laughs> during the course of this? One person blamed me for dyeing my hair gray. Oh, you dyed it gray? Yes, I didn't know. I, well, this is not natural, apparently. It's so a good look. I, I'm trying to make myself look older. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, what's the most memorable personal opportunity you've gotten to experience through this job? Um, personal opportunity, uh, just an interaction with someone. Yeah, anything, any sort of like uh, any sort of opportunity you were afforded because of this job that you feel like was exciting for you that you didn't think you'd ever have. Um, that's a hard. That's, that's a tough, a tough question. I have to give that some more thought. I mean, to me, the most rewarding part about this whole process of running for Congress is really getting out throughout the 22nd district to yeah. see some of the areas of upstate New York mm -hmm. um, that I perhaps never visited before. Uh, there's great beauty here, and we have so much potential in this region. Uh, and I think we need a representative who can actually um, be a good ambassador to this area, as opposed to someone who, you know, gets on Jimmy Kimmel for saying controversial things. What's, uh, what's something you're a big fan of that we wouldn't necessarily guess you're a big fan of? Um, probably anything outdoors related. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if I have free time uh, because our, our kids are in age right now, <laughs> yeah. we try to do any t anything outdoor related. So uh, a fun thing we just did was we just did the rail bikes. Uh, the oh, nice. Adirondack Scenic Railroad. That's really cool, railroads. actually. I'm yeah. kind of jealous. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> I think I did all the pedaling, though. So. Oh, well, yeah, that's what happens when you... Uh, I don't want to put you in an age range. Was there any ever was there ever any embarrassing phase or trend you may have gone through in your lifestyle that you wish you had not bell bottoms, oh tight t shirts, anything? Uh, did you ever hear of skids before? Remember? I'm familiar with the term skids. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to look that up after we get off. There were this, this really weird pair of pants that we would wear oh back God. in uh, skids. Skids. S K I D Z. I think it was. The Z. I'm gonna look it up. All you right. Gotta look it up. It was a strange. It was like a, it was like pajama pants, and they were just hot when I was in. Sixth and seventh grade. Is it like Zubaz a little bit? Kind of. Kind of yes. Okay, I'm into that for sure. Um, if you thank could, God, there's no pictures of that one. So. Yeah, they would have found it by now. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self if you can go back and do it? Um, I guess just be yourself. I, I've, I've tried to do that through the whole campaign, but um, don't take yourself so seriously, and yeah. you know, try to relax and, and really take in this whole experience because it really is a, a rewarding experience. Uh, running for Congress and hopefully getting to serve in Congress. So try to sit back and really soak it in a little bit more as opposed to always always being on the go. So this is a tough question, and uh, I'll, I'll leave you with – this is a two-part question. I have a one-reader lesson, and we'll end there because I know you're on the way out. Um, and I'm sure you haven't given this too, too much thought, but I'm just so curious. On November 7th, if you wake up and you find out that you won, what's the first thing you're going to do? What happens if you find out you win? If you win? <laughs> like, what's – um, I, I, I'm probably just going to start immediately trying to put an office together mm -hmm. so I can be up and running uh, yeah. when January rolls around. Yeah, how does that work? So if you if you get elected on November 6th, you have to be ready by what, January? I think the following week you have to be in Washington for new member orientation. Huh. Um, new member orientation. Every job, no matter what it is, got to teach you there for orientation. But it's important. You have a very short time period, so I have to really wrap up quick my assembly office, uh, close that out, make sure that whoever uh, takes my place in the assembly uh, that there's an easy transition, that they're up to speed on all the constituent issues we've been working on, uh, but then really start to open the office for Congress because uh, come January 1st, uh, I want people to know when they call us that someone's going to answer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Marianne was on, uh, Marianne Buttonshine, who was running for your seat, yes. was on the show a couple weeks ago, and she had wonderful things to oh, say good. about you. She was very <laughs> Marianne's a good person. Uh, and I, I don't like to think about this, but 
if for some reason you lose, what happens then for you? Well, um, I'm, I'm still a lawyer, and uh, I'll have to take that when it comes. I don't plan to lose, but we'll see what opportunities are out there. And the thing I know is that I have a loving family that's still going to mm -hmm. be there for me whether I win or lose. Can I tell you my personal thoughts yes, real quick? Yes, yes. Uh, so, again, you... Are you looking for a co-host? No, no, you're very good. <laughs> no, I will say that when I, first, when I first met you and the first time on the show... I wasn't, I don't know if I necessarily ever put together that we'd be having this conversation right now, but the, over the, the four or five times we've met and discussed and seen each other now, I'm so proud to see that you like really, your confidence levels are so high. You feel like, you feel like you're ready. I can tell, I can see it in your eyes that you right. feel like you're ready to step in there and do the job. And I, I know you're going to do great when, when you. you inevitably win. That's my Thank thought. You. Thank you. I have one last leader. Uh, we have to get going. I have one last uh, question for you. This is from Ken Smith from Utica. Uh, and it's sort of a broad question, so yeah. we'll end on this. Uh, Ken writes, our country appears more divided than ever before. I believe that there is more that we as a whole have in common, however, than that which divides us. Uh, how would you work to bring our country back together while still keeping the 22nd District strong? Thank you, Ken. That's a good question, Ken. Um, I, I always feel that you know, what we have to strive for in Washington and what we should be trying to do here locally is we got to really lead by example. So. I, I quote John McCain often when he would say, as a representative, when you're voting on a bill in Washington, we shouldn't uh, try and get this bill passed with just Republican support or just Democratic support. We should always try and get the bill passed with both parties supporting it. So I'm going to sit down with leaders in Washington on both sides of the aisle, try and find common ground. Back home, I'm going to show up and listen. I'm going to be very visible throughout this congressional district. We're going to hold town hall meetings, even when it's difficult and there's a lot of tough decisions out there. And if people want to come yell at me, they can come yell at me. <laughs> but I want them to know that I'm always going to be there listening to them. And even if we don't agree 100% of the time, we'll never agree 100% of the time, I want them to know that their representative is there listening to what their, their concerns are, and I'm doing my best to fight for whatever they care about in Washington. Again, folks, uh, November 6th, get out there and vote. It's, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be less than two weeks away. Yeah. Anthony, I know you're on the way out. Again, thank you so much for Thanks, always Sam. being uh, available it. for No, I appreciate it because, again, I, I said it to, uh, to Grant when I put the show together today. Not everybody was interested in coming to talk to me when this podcast first started. And, you know, you and Joe were two of the first people locally who were willing to sit down with, like, local nobody like myself and have a conversation and... Uh, I know for a fact that most of our uh, listeners have really, really loved every time you're on, and they support you 100%. And again, best of luck on November 6th. I really appreciate you're doing it. You're great job, so thank you for having me. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, again, folks, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. you guys beforehand i wanted to bring it up uh there was a forum last week with brindisi and claudia tinney they sat down and had sort of a debate forum did you guys see any of the review from that only a little bit no. yeah i was disappointed i didn't know about it beforehand i would have liked to have gone had i, I don't believe yeah, I, was, I was in class that night there is going to be another forum coming up too as well i think so i'm going to look that up but if you want to know about the forum uh gfop 
Uh, Luke Perry, who was on the show a few weeks ago, did a really nice uh, overview of it on the uh, Utica College Center for Public Affairs website. So if you're looking for a nice uh, sort of middle ground review of everything that doesn't seem too politicized, he does a good job over there. So mm -hmm. uh, nice work. Uh, yeah, you ready to vote? You guys excited for ready. voting? Ready. Yeah. Gotta do it, always. Did you guys see the, and I didn't have this on the notes, but I did read it this week, that uh, the numbers for people who turned out to sign up for voting for this year are like the highest since the 1960s. Mm -hmm. So oh, that's crazy. Yeah, they're saying they're really looking yeah. to what is a big turnout. I don't know if it's all on one side, all on the other, or if everyone's going to turn out. It's, it's going to be both. It's going to be... people coming out this year. God, it's going to be a weird election, man. Scary. I'm not scared about it just yet. I feel good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel ever since Trump came president. I don't know how It's I a true feel. story. The now Trump I'm just like, anything I, can happen. I was so sure that Trump wasn't going to win. Yeah, we all were. That I really don't trust anything I believe in. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I'm hoping for the best. That's what I'm doing. I'm hoping uh -huh. for the best. Yeah, you know what though? Isn't that uh, that's that's the best we can do? You vote just and you quietly watch and wait. Make sure yeah. you show up on the day. That's do all you can do part. right now. Just do your part. Can never worry about stuff too far in the future, too far in the past. Sit and wait, see what happens. All right. Speaking of uh, things from the past, time for oh some... god, I did it, didn't I? You it's because did. I said that. Why it's because you. you said that's why. It's because you all my fault, Heather. Past. I'm so sorry. You're not sorry. He's you know what? That, that's a good point. I'm not sorry because you have that attitude. And I, I, can't have this attitude. I can't apologize for the attitude Monday. like that. Uh -huh. I got to say the truth. What? I hate these history lessons. <laughs> I hate them. You, you do not. No, no, no. no, no. I hate these specific history lessons. Oh, okay. This particular grouping of so history. You're telling me this week's history lessons are going to be specifically bad. I just don't love them. They're just, okay. it's just not great you're history. You're hard set in it because you haven't been highlighting them lately. I don't have enough time to highlight them. It's a waste of highlighter. Uh, not a waste Whoa. of paper, mind you, but a waste of highlighter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on this day, uh, 1911, Orville Wright, the popcorn magnate. It's right, no, the airplane guy. Uh, Orville Wright, rename, <laughs> Orville Wright remained <laughs> in the... Orville Redenbacher. That's Orville Redenbacher, yeah, right. Sorry. Uh, Orville Wright remained in the air for nine minutes and 45 seconds in a glider at uh, Kill Devil Hills in North Carolina, setting a world record that would stand for 10 years. Uh, I'm just trying to think about, like, you know, it doesn't seem... 10 seconds in the air, or like 10 minutes in the air doesn't seem like very much, but like 1911, you would have had to have quite the imagination. Well, that's, that's a crazy thing. Like, we talk about, you know, how, how much things have changed. We've only been flying for less than 100 years. Wild. And now we fly like it's no big deal. moving around like it's nothing. Yeah. Now we're up there in the sky in sweatpants. Like, we go on vacation. <laughs> all the time. Eating food. <laughs> You'll notice that I'm talking about what happened on October 24th, 1911 in North Carolina, not what happened earlier that year in, um, in Ohio. And um, what's the other place? Yeah, that was my first thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is actually the reason that Ohio and North Carolina both take credit for the Wright brothers and their uh, world-changing invention. Uh, Ohio, because the Wright brothers developed and built their plane in Dayton, and North Carolina, because Kitty Hawk was the site of their first flight. So if you look at Ohio uh, license plates, they say birthplace of aviation, but then North Carolina's say first in flight. So it's like a friendly rivalry between the states. Those are both true statements, I think. That's fair. That's fair for both of them. Yeah. yeah. I like the friendly rivalry. It's good. It's good. You gotta have it. I just think that, like, in 1911, Orville, uh, Orville Wright was probably talking about this, or, you know, even before that, ten years before that, people probably told him he was an insane person, right? Probably. Like that's, and I guess that's the, the thing about inventing, right? And that's why I've never been an inventor. The minute I come up with an idea and somebody's like, that's a terrible idea, I'm like, oh, you're right! Yeah. <laughs> that's right, I'm gonna go home and turn <laughs> off the lights. <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, oh, no, here comes Justin Parkinson. 
Come in here if you're gonna say something. Don't just yell Nobody from the other room. Hear no one can hear you. There was other people who did flight, but they failed at it. But what the Wrights did is they patented everything about the parts of the airplane so they could keep the monopoly on airplanes and the records with it. So they, yeah. there's there's a sector of people who were trying to fly prior, but they couldn't get the parts to keep building the planes because the Wright brothers just kept patenting all the stuff so people couldn't develop them. That's Smart. right. People with the money and the lawyers always win. Yeah, the patents, baby. A little extra history lesson from Justin Parkinson. Thanks, Justin. Like. Thanks, Justin. Uh, yeah, for, <laughs> you'll notice that Justin just popping in because he's playing uh, golf on the video game system in the other room, in the green room. Uh, on this day, 1962... American author uh, author John Steinbeck is awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, which at the time was heavily criticized. It was not a popular decision. Uh, Heather, name me any um, John Steinbeck novel or oh, story. Mice and Men or something. There you go. Yes, of Mice and Men, 1937. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, 1939. The Pearl, which is actually a novella, which is probably my favorite single piece of John Steinbeck uh, material. Uh, East of Eden, 1952, and uh, Winter of Our Discontent, 1961. Uh, have you ever read any of John Steinbeck stuff, Kevin? You're uh, a resident of Mice and Men, The Pearl, and Grapes of Wrath. I love The Pearl, by the way. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that story. It's super dark. Of Mice and Men was kind of tough of for me. Of Mice and Men, it was sad. Of Mice and Men was tough <laughs> for me because it was so lampooned in like cartoons and Looney Tunes. And by the time I read it, wow. I felt like I already knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed Grapes of Wrath. It was really dense, and I read it younger than I was probably ready for, and it's one of those books that I always think about revisiting, because I remember even back when I read it, I was a little bit too young to really get a full grasp, but I remember being able to realize that I was reading something pretty impressive that I just wasn't quite ready for yet as a reader. Uh, like I was saying, this was a heavily criticized selection at the time. Uh, a Swedish newspaper called it one of the Academy's biggest mistakes. Um, when asked whether he thought he deserved it on the day of the announcement, uh, Steinbeck replied, frankly, no. <laughs> uh, years later in 2012, 50 years later, they actually released the archives, mm-hmm. uh, and the general consensus was he was the quote-unquote best of a bad lot of authors that year in terms of... I mean, he's one of the classic American authors. It's always one of my things when when like there's any kind of awards and somebody's like, oh, well, you really didn't deserve it this time. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know what I mean? Like, all yeah, right. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of notes here uh, for this one, and I definitely don't want to read them all. So don't. Uh, don't. don't. That's positive. You don't have to reread some of the page, guy. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Yeah. On this day, uh, well, no, it's on this day, uh, John F. Kennedy announced that U.S. spy planes had discovered Soviet missile bases in Cuba, uh, officially kicking off the Cuban Missile Crisis in earnest to the public, although it had been going on since, like, October 15th. Um, I mean, this was something... I'm trying to think of what the most... What a modern equivalent to this would have been. Like, Absolutely what was there? Is, was there nothing that, in, that our nothing. generation can sort of nothing even close? Nothing even nothing close. Nothing even close. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, the, if you if you if you're somebody who's really interested in history and wants something besides like a glossy like high school history thing mm-hmm. to read about, the Cuban Missile Crisis is one of the most insane things that's ever happened in the history of the country, and it's really really interesting if you're into that kind of thing. But no, that's the closest it's ever been by quite a bit. Nothing's ever been close before or after really. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, while at the time seemed like a very clear victory for the United States, but uh, going forward, it seems like Cuba sort of emerged with a much greater sense of security. Cuba. Cuba. Uh, (laughs) uh, The removal of the Jupiter missiles from Turkey had no detrimental effects on U.S. nuclear strategy, but the missile crisis uh, convinced the USSR to commence uh, massive nuclear buildup, Mm -hmm. and by the 1970s, they had reached parity with the U.S., so that wasn't great. Uh, But hey, you know, again, it's an important story. 
there's a lot more here that I don't want to get into, but no, if you're looking Cuban for some... Missile Crisis yeah. is dense as hell. Yeah. Uh, but look up the tanker uh, Bucharest. That's an interesting story out of this, which it? was... That was the tanker that went through the line of uh, the uh, demarcation mm -hmm. that they had to make a judgment call about whether or not they should fire on them. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. In uh, related news, uh, the president was saying this week that. that he's going to pull out of the <laughs> treaty that stopped us from building up nuclear missiles. So he's going to pull out and nullify the treaty so the United States and Russia can go back to uh, building and stockpiling nuclear weapons. We need more. I don't know if you saw our numbers. We only oh have, like, gosh. a lot. Not even, not even in jest, pal. I have I to be on. bypass that headline this can I, can I ask you this question? And this is here just me being naive. You guys can explain it to me like I'm five. I never understood the idea of having more than, like, ten nuclear or missiles. One. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if, what's the point of having, like, a thousand? You can only use so many, because, right? Like, well, because when you, you say nuclear missiles and it's a catch-all for any kind of nuclear weapon or warhead right. in both, you know, in size and everything else like that. So a lot of, if you're like, oh, well, this country has, you know, 200, those aren't 200 of the same thing. It represents so many different kinds of styles of weapons that fit on uh, different launch systems, different rocket mm -hmm. systems, different ways of deployment. And also part of it is just building up so because... It becomes a race. Like if a person's got X amount, if you know your sworn blood enemy is going to have more, you're not going to have less, whether you need them or not. A lot of it is about projection and intimidation, but a big chunk of why you would have many different kinds so they could be delivered mm -hmm. in different ways, different styles from different places and whatnot. Uh, on this day, 1965, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Highway Beautification Act, which attempted to limit billboards and other forms of outdoor advertising, as well as junkyards and other unsightly roadside messes along America's interstate highways. Look up. Love it. Yeah. Great. Uh, the act also encouraged scenic enhancement by funding local efforts to clean up and landscape the green spaces on either side of the roadway. This bill will enrich our spirits and restore a small measure of our national greatness, Johnson said of the bill signing ceremony. Beauty belongs to all the people, and so long as I am president... What has been divinely given to nature will not be taken recklessly away by man. Uh, the Highway Beautification Act was actually a pet project of the First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, she believed, uh, beauty she believed had real social utility. Cleaning up city parks, getting rid of ugly advertisements, planting flowers, screening junkyards from view, she thought would make the nation a better place to not only look at, but to live in. Uh, I would add building container parks. <laughs> a big part of it. It's true, though. It's, yeah. it's the exact same um, philosophy, really. I think Lyndon B. Johnson is, I mean, you you know, you got your qualms on your president. He's an underrated president, yeah. especially for sliding in right after JFK, whether you know you think he knew or not. Um, it He doesn't, you know, he's not on the list of, like, top tier, greatest of all time, because a lot of things he did that were good, whose legacies reverberate through today. Hmm. Uh, I just want to say... There's a last paragraph on this about business groups, polluters, advertisers, and the people who are not thrilled and the lobbyists who tried to water this down. I'm not going to get into it, but cool. uh, that happened. Yeah, so just be aware that that was a thing. Same as it ever was. <sighs> on this day, 2001, Apple released the iPod. Not the iPhone, but the iPod, which mm -hmm. I uh, we've talked about in the past before. I don't think people totally give enough credit to what a big deal it was and what a shift Huge. in the Huge. I worked in um, Ra um, uh, Rio Shack when yeah, it yeah. Out, and it was huge like everybody wanted one of them well uh, it's been credited over the years with sort of uh, accelerating shifts within the music industry popularization of digital music uh, allowing people's to uh, allowing users to listen with abandon and just store tons and tons of music like a couple people I know me uh, and sort of hasten to the end of the album era in popular music. For sure. Do you think those are good things? 
Is it just the yeah. natural course? No, you're good. I mean, I, as, as with a lot of things, I don't know if you can necessarily describe it as this is, you know, good or bad specifically. Um, I see what you're saying. There's certain things that they, when things change, there are always things that you lose. And I mm-hmm. think there's some things that we've maybe lost that a lot of people would probably like to have back. But as an overall good or bad thing, I mean, there were a lot of great things about it, too. Mm. The first model had one of those mechanical stroll wheels. Remember that? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, uh, the biggest one they had was five gigabytes. That was the mass, mm-hmm. the maximum of size. <laughs> as of today, which apparently you can still get, you can still get an iPod Touch, the sixth mm-hmm. generation yeah. one today. There's a 32 gig and 128 gig, but those are the last ones. Every other uh, iPod has been discontinued. I think honestly, just because the iPhone sort of, mm-hmm. it, it sort of. Well, the only the only benefit that I would say is somebody because I think what happened, you know, streaming came and kind of took its lunch. There's no reason to compile 150 gigs of music anymore because everything is just there to be streamed. Yeah. But I think the one thing the iPod had is when you put all that stuff on there. I used to have 120, 160 mm-hmm. gig iPod that was like my my brain for music. And I would use it in the car and everything, and it's nice that you can use it without needing any kind of coverage or Wi-Fi or paying for or get, reception somewhere. Or get distracted from your Facebook and everything else. And then or like, yeah, like, nothing, <laughs> like you can put it on, like, how you like to spend a lot of time out in the woods and up on top yep. of mountains, and if you're not getting phone service, you can still pop your head, yep. you know, headphones in, and you can mm. play it while you're out camping or whatever. Yep. And that's something that you do lose with losing your iPod, is the ability to play without any kind of coverage anywhere that mm-hmm. you go. Uh, Apple also in the news this week, though, uh, bad news. Uh, Apple has been accused of overpricing and restricting device repairs. Which... I can't believe it. <laughs> That's an unbelievable report. I, I will. What? It's a lot like what I was always told when I was a kid, and I'm not trying to, to shit on anybody who has a Volkswagen, but that was one of the things my stepdad told me when I was a kid about like why I should never buy a Volkswagen. He's like, because Volkswagen makes their own replacement I've parts, heard that when I've and they're like through. 10 times more expensive. So like an air filter will cost you 10, 12 times more than it normally would mm-hmm. as opposed to like a Ford car. So for whatever reason, I always bought like cheap American cars. Like, oh, the parts are so much cheaper. But that's what's going on with Apple here. And it is true. You can't really go take your Apple product anywhere else but to like Apple mm-hmm. to get it fixed. And it's a wild nightmare to go through it. It's yep. a pain in the butt. Uh, all right, and one last piece. Yeah, but their commercials are so good. They've kind of fallen off, actually. Of course, they, yeah. Because yeah, they they're fine yeah. now. They, don't they were them. good, though. To be fair, they were the dopest commercials for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, also on this day last year, 2017, Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam vows to return Saudi Arabia to a moderate Islam after announcing a $500 billion independent economic zone. How's that working out for you, bro? <laughs> all right. Moving along, uh, let's get into... We're, we actually went farther than I thought we would with those this week. So maybe they weren't so bad. Those are better than I thought. Um, all right. <laughs> I have a tech corner I want to get to. We're going to talk a little bit about tech stuff, but I have two quick stories I wanted to mention with you guys. Um, and this one's kind of a dark thing, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, you know how there's, like, a national registry for sex offenders and people have to, like... If you get convicted for something, you have to be put on the registry. Mm-hmm. There's a report coming out basically saying that this should be a thing that happens for domestic abusers and stalkers as well. Like, there should be a separate list, like a domestic abuse list, that if you are convicted of doing something, you should put on this list. Right? Any thoughts about this? I just thought it was in the Telegraph today. It's worth a good read if you're interested in that kind of thing. I, it seemed like a really simple be. solution for something that seems to have, like, weird answers to it all the time, Right? If I was single, I'd want something like that. I'd want to know what I was getting into before exactly. I yeah. and then what the violation was and what ha- you know what I mean what happened. Yeah. I'd, I'd be all for that. Yeah. Yeah, you would have. To, I, mean, I mean, you'd have to be careful. You know, you say conviction, mm-hmm. and that's that would be a huge step because certainly if somebody is convicted, mm-hmm. and it would be uh, probably similar but 
it's similar to you know the sex offender registry where you just have to make sure you're what drawing level, like, you have to make sure you're drawing very clear yes, lines right absolutely. like you just have to you have to make sure the lines are drawn very clearly this is uh, this was from the common house affairs committee again this is from the telegraph in the uk so it's not american necessarily perpetrators uh would have to register with the police within 72 hours of being convicted uh or cautioned and have to notify officers if they intend to move house or travel abroad there you go so that's the quote. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was something to worth think thinking about. Good. And that's uh, go to the Telegraph if you're interested in that. That was on there today. And then uh, for all you fast food fans out there, I got a report. It's gonna make you unhappy. Uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Five Guys were among so 22 burger chains that received an F rating uh, from yeah from the Center for Food Safety uh, over antibiotics. Uh, in their beef, there were twenty five. So the F rating. So, but it's very important to say. So this F rating only pertains to whether how much antibiotics whether they're using. I love that. So it's not. So this F isn't like oh the quality of this I know, meat such a is poor. Headline, poor. Though. Well, it's a clickbait headline, yeah. and so but it's important click- to draw that line for those. Yeah. Folks. For lacking any announced policy to source beef raised without the routine use of antibiotics, that's what all these companies got an F for. Of the twenty five burger places <laughs> that were uh, that were mentioned, uh, twenty two got Fs. One got a D, that was Wendy's, and then two got A's, Shake Shack and something called Burger Fi, which I'm not familiar they with. They need to come here. <laughs> um, and again, this is not just fast food restaurants uh, like Fuddruckers, uh, oh, Five Guys, which is an upscale burger joint, all on here. Mm. Uh, so, just again, I thought it was a kind of a downer story to ruin all you meat-loving fans out there. I'll still go. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> all right, I got two tech stories. You guys ready? One's short and one's real long. Uh, first one is about Netflix. Uh, what are your thoughts on Netflix, by the way, just in general right now? I feel like I'm kind of down on Netflix at the moment. I feel like their movies are kind of coming. slow. I can't, I can't figure out. Like, there's so many shows I start watching, and then I stop watching, and I get into something else, and I can't, like, get a rhythm with it. What were the things that brought you to Netflix in the first place? When I used to... It was first. Yeah, no. I, when you could rent TV. It was first. It was first, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, what are the? Like, I used to like that they had all the TV shows. Now there's not as many of them. They had a lot of original mm-hmm. like, movies. And now that's sort of gone. And they've kind of doubled down into original content. Mm-hmm. But they uh, put shows on, and you don't know if they're ever going to come back again. So it's like hard to... Well, it came out today that Netflix is going further into debt. They're raising another $2 billion in financing through debt so that they can fund more original content. Do you feel like more original content is the smart move for Netflix? No. 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 So you think, I like a lot of their I mean, stuff. Not, you... no, go, no, no, go no, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, not, that, not that they should stop making original content. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But putting all of their eggs in the basket of their own original content with their aggressively spotty track record mm-hmm. seems like a mistake. Yeah. Yes. I do think that, that some of that money is better served paying for... IP that is already popular, right? Like, you will get more people to Netflix by saying, hey, we just bought Fresh Prince and we're going to put it on Netflix because that's what Hulu was doing for a while. They got the Seinfeld thing and that was a big selling point. We have every episode of Seinfeld on Hulu now and that drove a lot of people there. I do think, I'm not saying, again, I agree with you, I'm not saying cut out original content. But that's, to be fair though, I guess, uh, for the devil's advocate argument that is that is a a short-term strategy. Because, okay, so you you pay for Fresh Prince... And you get that big surge of publicity in those people up front, but like long term, they're not making any new Fresh Prince episodes. So I can see right. why if I'm Netflix and I see less and less content that people are getting really married to on the actual television, you're like, well, in another 10 years, people are going to need something to watch and new shows to obsess over. I think they need to focus on what they have that's doing well. 
and like mm-hmm. work on that. Like shows that are doing well that people want back and that kind of content instead of like they're all That's over what the I'm place. That's They're diluting like, their original content. They're going. They're just whatever works and they're grabbing at it and trying it. But they're also, to be fair, Netflix is making a lot of money on the foreign content well, they're, they're producing. That's true. The content well. that they're producing that's in you know different languages, you know German and Chinese and Indian and Spanish and all this different stuff is a huge section that we don't really think about because we don't interact with it on our own Netflix, but that draws a lot of where their subscriber base comes from as well. So, I mean, I would need the internal documents on that. Okay, I would be curious, and speaking of internal documents, I would be curious to know what the most watched shows on Netflix are that aren't their content. Like, what is the... It's got to be, like, The Office or Friends. I feel like everyone's watching The Office or Friends on Netflix. Like, the number one thing that people tell me, it's got to be number one, though, right? Like... I'm, I'd be so curious to find out what the actual number one thing people watch on Netflix I bet it is. wouldn't be. You bet it wouldn't I be. I don't know what I think would be, but I bet it wouldn't be. Okay. I, I don't know either. I'm just trying to think. Like I, I'd be, I'm very curious to know what people's number one drawing point is. It'd be damn Netflix close. Yeah. It would be us. damn close. What do people like? Yeah, tell us what you like. Tell us. Yeah, tell us what you're watching. I would like to see Netflix or somebody, um, somebody really still has an opportunity with movies. There's nobody mm-hmm. who's got Amazon's the closest, and they're pretty good, but they're not even great. Mm-hmm. With like a real full selection of movies. I know for me to have Prime, Hulu, and Netflix, I have a hard time finding a movie. You yeah, know, like, because a lot of stuff is still held off. Like we've been talking about it. Halloween's approaching. We've been talking about it with a lot of classic horror movies. There's no place to really get them. You can get yeah. a subscription to Shutter, mm-hmm. which is like the horror movie and show service, but like that's a whole other thing. But like you can't find any of the Halloween movies, any Nightmare yeah, on Elm Street, iTunes. any Friday the Thirteenth, because they yep. still because for movies they can still get you to buy. Yeah. Even if you're only spending two ninety nine or four ninety nine to rent or something, they'll still generally get you to pay it. I was talking about a movie today that I'll probably rent on Amazon in the coming week because I'm just sick of waiting for a streaming service to get it. So I think since they can still get the money there, mm-hmm. they're still going to keep doing it, especially Amazon. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. And let's uh, let's go to our final segment. I guess this will carry us through to the end. Uh, and if you want to read more about this, I'm not going to go through the whole article. It's very long. But there was an excellent piece uh, on Gizmodo this week called 100 Websites That Shaped the Internet As We Know It. The top 100 sites that were important to defining the modern internet. Uh, it's very Were they good. ranked? They were ranked. Okay. They were ranked. So I thought, just for conversation's sake, run through maybe the top 10, top 20. I don't know what your thoughts are. Top 10, probably, Top 10? Yeah. All right. Um, so let's start with number 10. Um, number 10, MySpace, 2003. Perhaps one mm-hmm. of the few wildly popular social networks that didn't derail into total chaos and destruction. Uh, if it's taught us anything, it's that all great things shouldn't necessarily last forever. What are your thoughts about MySpace? Was, was that them or is that you? That was them. Oh, okay. I thought that was I thought it was a good oh, yeah, review. Was, uh, no. no, I I MySpace was the first important website, I feel like, for me, That's that fair. I felt like I wanted to go on all the time. Especially yeah, probably as a singular entity. Anything before that was like because that was right around the same time that you were getting out of like the base AOL browser for a lot of people and they were getting like, you know, using Internet Explorer and getting different uh, providers, not just being America yeah. online specifically. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, number nine. From 1995, eBay. eBay, oh, yeah. huge. I mean, that's a juggernaut. Really can't. eBay's eBay is almost like you forget how early they I were and how much that was one of the very first things. Uh, the site was famously propped up by the reselling of Beanie Babies early on, and it helped support PayPal, uh, the money service that would try to become the internet's bank with all the regulations. So they were again. I would say PayPal is one of those things that I always associate with eBay. It was like one of the first places mm-hmm. I remember using it effectively. So number eight, 2005. Reddit, 
one of my favorite Hi. internet sites. It took me a long time to come around on Reddit. I just came around. Um, <laughs> so it's funny to me that, you know, it's 2005 actually doesn't seem as long ago as I would have expected. Like, I thought it would have been longer than that for whatever no, reason. No, I wouldn't have been able to function before that, really. I do think it's interesting that of all the websites that are out there that have lasted for a long time, Reddit still pretty much looks like it did when it came out. It does no, not. They just appear- did that whole new redesign. I know. Everybody's up in arms. Yeah. I don't mind it actually, but it, it still feels. Because well, they're like- trying to turn into a, into a social media. Yeah. Is what they're doing. That's why everybody's got profiles and you can follow people and like there's friends now and it's a whole. Well, because it's gone. <laughs> it's gone mainstream now and it's sort of like you're gonna see. Uh, they're getting towards the the bloat stage. Uh, number seven. We just talked about them. Netflix, 1997, uh, originally starting with those flimsy red mailers that you would get back to your house. This service practically killed the cable box, uh, and although its streaming catalog may seem dingy now, we still get a few good Netflix originals. That's their quote, not mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Did you remember? Did you ever do the, the mailing thing? I, One of my buddies used to do the I mailing thing. I had a roommate thing. who did, yeah. I did. I feel like that died almost immediately once the streaming option came around. Like he stopped yeah, doing still, it. It went on. They only stopped doing it not too long ago. Yeah, because they still were only allowing certain ones on DVD. Well, because you could still get like new releases yeah. and stuff like that. But I, no, what killed the Netflix mailing DVD? We had, well, it wasn't streaming. It was Redbox. Redbox yeah. is why people stopped doing that because Redbox, you could just go down and pay a dollar at the gas station or the grocery store. Yeah. Number six from two thousand and six, Twitter. I mean, Twitter probably the most divisive social media site, I would say, for most people. It's the hardest to get into from what I, when I talk to people, that seems to be the general consensus. Um, but I would say that the one thing Twitter has above all the other social media platforms, and this is why I go back to it specifically for live events, sports, that immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. If I see a bad play on a football game, I can type in bills and there's 15 people talking about it. The even second TV it shows, if you're watching a TV show and you have an opinion, you can go right on and see a hashtag for it. That instant, yeah, that instant. <laughs> and I also think that more than any other social media platform, it broke the barrier between, like, when you tweet at real Donald Trump, that's actually him. There's yeah. no line of demarcation between the person and the, and the and you know, maybe there's someone working the their pro. At the, at the beginning. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, now it's. But I, I know what you're saying. Gives though. people a choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number five, maybe you guys know this one. It was called Internet Archive from 1996. I have no idea what this is. Never heard of it. Uh, couldn't tell you. Look it up. Internet Archive, 1996. Number four, from 1996, The Onion. I was going to say that. Yeah. I hope The Onion would be on there. The Onion's still around today, which I think, I so for a satire website that people sort they've of... Got a, they've got a huge network of sites now, too, so they have different... Is there's there's one that I part of them? What's that? Slate or one of them. They have something similar. No, they're on the Kinja network with like AV Club and those guys now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. I'm saying like they've got like a bunch of other like more specific uh, satire websites. I like thehardtimes.net. Mm-hmm. It's all like uh, like rock music and like punk music, but Onion style headlines. Yeah. Somebody who's like played in bands and like been in scenes and gone to a lot of shows Seeking in my it. time. It's There's a lot of stuff that's really, really fun in there. We're getting down to the top three. Uh, before we get to the top three, do you want to guess them? There's only a couple we haven't mentioned, and they're all big ones. I mean, certainly Facebook. Facebook did not make the top three. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be, like, number one on there. That's nope. interesting to me. Uh, well, number three, number three from 2005, YouTube. You ever tried uh, to find a video? Yeah, yeah, YouTube. I think YouTube is, for the generation of kids that I teach, YouTube is by far and away the single most important website, and it's not oh, even yeah. close. That's where yeah. they get all yeah. their music. Yeah. That's where the culture is. That's where the content is. 
That's number one for anyone below the age of like 25. I'm expecting to see the Yahoo or Google somewhere. Mm-hmm. Number two, Google, 1998. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What, they say it here. Basically, the only website that still looks the same when you type yeah. Google.com from day one to now. Sure. For all intents and purposes, pretty much. This. Oh, yeah. Craigslist was in the top 20, but not the top 10. Number one from 2001, Wikipedia. Oh. oh yes. No other major website that fulfilled yes, yes. its promise and stuck to its original ideals the way that Wikipedia has. That's interesting. Yeah. I would never get that. That was a good list. I'm going to read that whole article now. It's worth a good read. Uh, a couple that we didn't miss that were popular. Number 11 was Snopes. 12 was Craigslist. Uh, 13, Pornhub, which would have been a good conversation. 14, IMDb. Uh, 15, Tumblr. 16, Pirate Bay. I would have had a great conversation about the Pirate Bay. <laughs> Uh, 17 was Amazon, 18 is AOL, 19 was Facebook. So there you go. Oh, nope. So it was 20. Awesome. Got to round me out. And then 20 was something called the WWW Project from 1991, which was one of the first web browsers and websites of the late 80s and early 90s. Like one of the very, very uh, first. I see. Look up a guy named Tim Bernards Lee. He was the guy who was involved in that. He sort of defined the way we interact over the internet. So that's what that's referring to. Good list, though. Uh, 100 websites that shape the internet as we know it from Gizmodo. I don't like to push content away from us, obviously, but it's a good list. Read it. We didn't get to the Nebraska tourism slogan, which I had a whole separate list for, so we'll do that next week. Remind me of the Nebraska tourism slogan sure. next week. <laughs> okay. Um, that's about it, guys. We uh, I know you have to go deal with your children, and I know you have practice. I was but... thinking about staying for a while. Oh, really? But, you know, awesome. Hang, hang with us and watch wrestling. I love it. <laughs> Uh, follow Heather at HeatherWaz1. She'll be tweeting about wrestling for the next 45 minutes and ignoring her children. Uh, follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow me at SF Doom. Or don't just follow the show at Uticast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're taking over the web sayonara. Humanoids Woodstock lives. Keep it tight. Uh, we'll be back next week for episode 175. I guess it's our Halloween episode next week. It's creeping up on us because, yeah, this is it. Maybe I'll try and find someone spooky to be on the show. Maybe. Maybe we've already reached out. We'll find out. Tune in. Bye. Bye. Bye.